where you can connect with the industry's brightest minds from some of the most innovative companies. Um, and you can get all of their thoughts on the ever-changing landscape and all things related to the future of work. Today's featured guest is Stripe's Head of Engineering for Latin America, Juan Pablo Buritica, in conversation with Terminal's Director of Growth, Julia Rudlin. But before I let the hosts introduce themselves further, I wanted to provide some quick housekeeping tips for you guys. All AMAs are recorded and will be available to view on YouTube. Uh, it's actually being live streamed right now and you can view it after, after the session is concluded as well. Uh, we will also have the AMA available as a podcast. If you wanna listen on your daily walk around the neighborhood, just search for Terminal AMA, however you listen to your podcasts. During the registration process, a number of you submitted questions that Juan Pablo will get to today. But if you have additional questions over the course of the conversation, please type them into the Q&A Zoom function, and we'll get to as many as we can. So without further ado, I'll pass it over to Julia, who will introduce herself and our special guest for today. Take it away, Julia. Thanks, Dorian. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Julia. I'm the Director of Business Development and Growth at Terminal. Uh, so at Terminal, if you don't know already, we essentially help startups build and grow and support their remote engineering offices. Uh, so we provide everything from uh, recruiting to HR operations to then uh, the L&D and cultural initiatives that go all go into supporting a successful full-time remote office and an organization. Um, I'm so excited to be speaking with Juan Pablo today. Um, so I'll, I'll let um, Juan take a minute to introduce himself, but just as some context, um, Juan Pablo is a remote and distributed teams expert. He built a completely distributed organization during his time at uh, as VP of engineering at Splice. Uh, he's created many developer communities, including his latest, uh, the Empanada Fund, which sponsors community conferences throughout Latin America, as well as provides scholarships for North American-based uh, Latinx folks. And uh, Juan actually uh, wrote some really interesting takeaways on how to do remote uh, in the recent Holloway Guide to Remote Work. So all of this is incredibly exciting for us. Um, and on top of that, uh, you're also starting as the head of engineering for Latin America at Stripe very soon. So, um, you know, TLDR, you're a very impressive and important person, and we can't wait to dive into some really exciting and, and as you put it, spicy questions today. Um, but with that said, did I miss anything in your intro? No, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. That's, that's, a, that's an incredible intro. You made me... Uh, blush a little. Um, thank you for having me. But yeah, so I've built distributed teams for about 10 years um, from New York City. I am, I am Colombian and I'm really excited about learning and teaching others how to, how to build distributed teams, how to build engineering teams, how to build um, organizations and communities, especially in Latin America. Um, it, it, it holds a very special place in my heart. So thank you for having me. Of course. So I think before we start, I haven't started yet, so I'm not yet representing Stripe. Uh, it also makes it a little bit easier to answer spicy, spicy <laughs> questions and say anything anything I I, um, I feel independently. Perfect. Our views are our own, and our opinions are our own as well. So we can dive into some really interesting opinions and insights today. Um, so with that said, uh, we received a ton of questions today, um, and I know we only have 30 minutes together, so uh, let's jump right in. Um, sure. So <laughs> so you mentioned um, 
So let's see. So starting with sort of this, um, you know, we're all suddenly forced into working from home, working remotely. Um, and so everyone has a flavor of understanding what it feels like and how to be successful working from home. Um, and I think naturally a lot of companies and a lot of people will think, oh, I've got this. We should just adopt long term a remote teams and a work from home strategy. Um, but when we, we had spoken previously, you mentioned that you're seeing some red flags. You're seeing some companies that maybe shouldn't go remote uh, despite it sort of working in the interim, um, would love your take on, you know, which companies really shouldn't consider remote in the long term? And what are some of those red flags that you're seeing in terms of companies or organizations just not being right for this type of setup? Sure. So more than companies, specific companies that shouldn't, it's, it's more about ways that you shouldn't necessarily adopt remote work. I, I believe that well, remote work isn't for everyone. Um, it isn't also better. It's different and some people will be able to do it really well. Some people won't or will have a rough, rough time. So there, there's a few things to highlight. First, when we started going through this around like December and January where the, the, like the news was starting to spread, there was a lot of excitement. I was actually writing the, the guide at the moment. There was a lot of excitement about like, oh, Wuhan is about to go on the, the biggest remote like work experiment. And it was interesting. And of course, many remote work influencers started talking, getting super excited. But when it started hitting companies, and I remember there was a, a week about like the first, the first week of March or so where I even found out that I wasn't flying to San Francisco for an interview. I was going to do like a, an, an on-site panel remotely. People started realizing that they weren't really working remotely. They were stuck doing work at home. And they've had to rush to adapt their processes uh, for this to work. So more than, more than anything, I think companies that believe that remote work requires supervision, like what are you doing right now? Let's do all these metrics to see how many Zoom calls you've been on or like how many emails you've sent today, which I've actually seen a few companies already start jumping on that back wagon. Those companies should not adopt remote work because they don't understand that these teams require trust to work. The only way you can transcend distance separation and time separation is by trusting people. So that I, I, I just hope that hope companies that, hope that, that, hope that are taking that approach, pause and realize that they have an opportunity to, to trust their workforce, to set better objectives, to give ownership uh, so they can do a better job. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think some of those babysitting tools and monitoring some of that, uh, that activity day to day just really doesn't help overall. Um, I guess with that in mind, how do you think about then motivating remote workers if, you know, if what you're saying is don't micromanage, don't monitor their, their every move? Um, what can you do to ensure that your deliverables are still happening on time and in an effective and, and timely manner? The way I personally approach this from the beginning, from when I hire you, I, I I set enough incentives and give you enough information when you're joining my team that we're, we're aligned on the mission and the objectives that we're trying to, to get to, right? Like you've joined this team. Of course, you need a job, you need to pay rent, but you also believe in what we're doing. And from there, we can cascade like, look, here's the direction where we want to get to. Here's how we may or may not achieve our goals. But... I think my role, especially as, a, as an engineering executive, is to ensure that you have very, very clear direction of where we're going 
and give you the tools to do your job. And I think many leadership uh, teams at startups, when they're scaling super fast, they really want to keep making decisions and telling their employees how to, how to solve problems. And they never detach from, look, here's where we should get to, here's what you need, and I'm going like, to be supporting you along the way. Um, th there's more than a few founders that really want to stay in the brainstorming and let's solve and let's code. And as you grow, that becomes problematic. So my recommendation is usually for, for organizations to learn how to set good goals that you can measure and for engineers and designers and everyone else who's working towards those goals to take ownership of them so you can actually have this this conversation now in in, in a distributed environment if you own your goals if you know what you're trying to achieve it is much better it enables you to work independently and to be able to like take on your responsibilities do them whenever so it detaches you from time. You don't have to be working synchronously with everyone else, um, and just keep achieving keep achieving your goals and, and, and communicating with your with your counterparts. This, of course, requires a ton of work. So that's why I differentiate building a distributed team based on trust and good communication from we're stuck working from home trying to get work done. My recommendations right now are. Like try to keep doing what you're doing and less less meetings, hopefully, over time. Start moving a lot of this information to, to written artifacts rather than just a Zoom call bonanza for everyone. <laughs> yeah, there definitely feels like there's a surge in Zoom calls, you know, both from a work standpoint as well as all of these happy hours with friends and things mm -hmm. like that. Hope Hopefully we all come down at, at some point, but um, you mentioned something about, you know, sort of the goal framework and, and rather than it being time-based have, you know, there should be built-in trust. It should be very um, well documented and have clear goals for the teams um, set for them. I guess, what do you have any tools or frameworks or programs that you would recommend people if they're thinking about moving into a fully remote or distributed team that they should start to, to look into? I shy, I shy away from making recommendations abstract of context or okay. like getting right now I'm advising, I'm coaching a small startup and them adopting OKRs, would, they would probably spend too much time trying to understand OKRs. They're too small. So these tools tend to like depend on the context of the organization, the goals that you're trying to set, the size, the stage. The important thing is learn about goals. Like what are good goals? How should they be measured? And how do you transfer them over? I think the a book that is usually referred to in this context is Measure What Matters. It teaches you a lot about that at least. And then frameworks, we probably over obsess as an industry over them. Um, you can learn about multiple, there's smart goals, there's OKRs, there's like mission, vision, something else, strategy, I believe. Um, just learn about goals and how you can set them and then you can maybe try out a few a few a few of those frameworks sounds good um cool so on that note um at splice you had you had hired a fully distributed engineering team uh remind me again how big the organization was we scaled so i joined as the 15th employee uh where there were five engineers at the time and in the first 18 months we grew about 60 to about 60 engineers in the org to about like 120 around the first 18, yeah, 18 months. And then it's, it's, it's fluctuated in size. 
first of all, that's incredible growth, um, you know, for, for any team. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, you've successfully shown that you can hire remote employees and remote engineers specifically. Uh, do you have any sort of unique tips for hiring developers in a remote scenario, especially for, for people that might be, you know, for the first time ever hiring people and extending offers to people that they haven't actually met in person? Sure. The first thing you need to let go is this belief that you need to meet a person. You need to be in the same room with a person to get to work with them. The only thing that you can learn is their height, right? There's nothing I haven't found in my experience that there's anything that has been surprising after I've hired someone uh, remotely. My EA, uh, Ariel and I worked together for about six years in different companies. We met, I think, four years in. Uh, and, and she's a person who I trust the most and you have access to everything. And we were like partners. So in order for you to hire remotely, you really need to get over that like roadblock of, I need to meet this person. I've heard the analogy of it's like marrying someone and please don't use that, you know, professional context. It isn't, <laughs> it's not the same. Um, right. And then try, try to adapt your hiring process to evaluate whether this person can work independently, if they are a self-starter, if they can, uh, if they can communicate well, written, like adapt your process, not just for it to be a, a full day on site where you get to ask a ton of questions and then take them out to lunch, but rather like, how would you write an email to the team when there is this challenge or like there's exercises that you can do that can, can help you evaluate uh, candidates differently. The, the other thing is you, you do need to choose whether you're going to stay in the same time zone or not, uh, because that is a, that has a big impact on whether you can or not manage uh, your team. And it, it, it it depends on where your business is at, on whether you're ready to not be at the same time together. That's a big. That's a big decision. How do you know if you're ready to hire someone in a different time zone? I don't know if you can know if you're ready, but if there's enough, I, I, the way I approach it is as an experiment, as a pilot. First, for the person who is joining. Uh, like, look, we, we don't get, you're, you'd be the first person would be outside of our time zone. We don't yet know we can make this work. Um, but we want to try, we're interested in making it, making it work. There's specific cases where you, where it's advantageous. For example, if you have like a 24 hour cycle of support or on call, there's time zone differences that, that, that are very beneficial. Other than that, taking the first step is understanding it, you may not be ready and it's be very explicit to the person who you're bringing in this position because they may just want a lot more stability than, than not. Um, from there, partner with the person who's joining to gauge whether the information is accessible and perhaps make it half of their job to make this information accessible. How are decisions made? Oh, they're all happening in meetings. Okay, how do we make them, how do we distribute them better? How do we discuss them in a forum that is independent of time. How do we sync when we are not in the same time to so start building those processes? And then once it feels a little bit more stable, then you can start adding a lot more people to that, to the, to that pipeline, for example. 
That makes sense. And so I guess this is, I think I'm asking for your hot take on this, but what do you think about follow the sun sort of engineering um, processes where you sort of take advantage of the fact that you have so many different time zones across the globe. Um, and the idea would be to build a little thing in one time zone, pass it over overnight to another time zone as they wake up and sort of code your way along the different time zones. Do you think it's wildly optimistic or does it sometimes work? Does it work for some specific cases, but not others? There's, there's definitely hot takes around this, right? There's, there's, Reasons why this is done. Sorry for I think my <laughs> my dishwasher is done. Um, if you want to do it to cost to like cut costs or because you think that you can get faster to to a software outcome, I think you're really really mistaken and you don't know how software works. Um, software teams are are business units. And they can only be successful unless it's a consulting company that's building software for other people. Product engineering organizations can only be successful if they own their business goals and they really understand their business and they're close to it. So if you are if you are working based on time zones around the globe, and that's what drives your offices and things, I think you're gonna struggle a lot trying to keep people connected. Um, I've, I've had, so before Splice, I had a, a team that was more, uh, or, or broadly distributed across, across time zones. And we did it because we had the opportunity to hire like people from everywhere in the world. Right. I, I think at Splice, the, one of the limitations is we had a headquarters in New York where design and the business was already based out of. So we, we, we had to have a, a hybrid organization in that's what limited my choice in, in, in time zones. I chose like, look, we'll, we'll be American, American time zones. Um, but as far as expanding all over the world, it's cool because you give access to other people, uh, access to opportunities to other people, and you also get access to a broader uh, talent pool. But if your reasons are like, look, we can't stop working, because that's how we achieve our goals. And I think you you have some really complicated thoughts about how work is, and I would encourage you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. So um, so when we think about time zones, you know, obviously with all your, your work and having built teams and hired people across Latin America, um, you know, obviously those time zones are nicely aligned with, with the U.S. and North American time zones. Um, you know, think, stepping back a little bit, uh, for, for those of us who don't really know anything about the Latin American uh, engineering ecosystem, can you give us a high-level overview about how we should be thinking about Latin America as a, as a startup or a tech ecosystem or hub? Um, and then I have a few more questions from there. Sure. So Latin America has radically changed in the past 10 years. Um, also, the first thing I'd say is Latin America is an easy way to refer to it because it sounds as a region, but it isn't as cohesive as, as other regions like Europe or uh, North America or Asian Pacific. Every country has such a like different regulation and different approach that it's it's, it's wild. For example, I personally consider Brazil, which is I think over 70% of the entire region's uh, GDP, a separate continent. It's it's huge population, a huge market too, um, a different 
very specific language there of course there's there's other languages outside of spanish like in haiti or um the guyanas but brazil is the very very different place to establish business that if you go for example to colombia or argentina or chile um to be mindful of that it's not there's no such thing as oh i'm going to open a shop in latin america it's specifically one of the reasons why I'm joining Stripe, right? There is no financial infrastructure that just bridges the entire region for you to charge people all over the place. That does not exist yet. Um, talent is not concentrated. So I believe that the best engineers from, from Mexico may have already moved to the Bay Area because Mexico has a great visa like you can, the, the free trade agreement with nafta i believe opens it up for professionals to move to the states very easily whereas as a colombian it's really really hard to leave uh, it's gotten better but it's really hard to leave and there is a culture of wanting to move out of the region at least to get better opportunities and then many of us want to eventually come back to the region and, and, and invest so you won't find concentrated pools of talent um, of experienced talent. And what I mean by experience is people who have already had opportunities to build software that is that scales, that is uh, tested, that is production ready software. There's, there's few people in comparison to the population that have had those opportunities yet because there's not many companies that come in and invest. Um, one of the things that I went over as, as I was talking to Stripe was like, look, I'm, I'm interested in building engineering offices. Because all large companies, all large tech companies come to the region, they establish sales, ad, advertising offices, they take the money from the region and bail. So it's, it's not cool. It's not, that's one of the things that, that I'm, I'm really excited about, building engineering presence in, in, in offices. So going a little bit against my, let's go, let's go distributor uh, primarily, you'll find incredible communities and i'd say if you are going to hire in latin america i'd focus on first looking for communities of the technologies that you're looking for there's incredible communities in brazil argentina chile uh, all over uh, central america and from there start inquiring about their the networks because there's a lot of people who are really really talented but just haven't had the opportunity to solve very very difficult problems um as far as compensation, spicy takes, I really believe that you should come to the region and exploit people or take advantage of the income differential. If you are going to, to use the cost of living to set your salaries, then you should also be consistent and set your pricing, taking into account the same cost of living or the power of like the... the the acquisition power of people in the region because it can't it can't be like it's a little bit hypocritical to come there pay a thousand dollars a month but then charge your product twenty dollars a month here or like the same thing that you charge in the, in the in the u.s it's just very very different so don't don't come to the region to exploit people yeah absolutely um i think so i know we're at five minutes left um and it, if we might go over but with that said just one more question for you on on latin america and the ecosystem and then i have some a rapid fire session of, of so, questions for you 
But um, so you mentioned that there's sort of this, uh, you know, there are people that go to the US, gain some experience, and then eventually move back to their homes in Latin America. Where do you think we're going to be in five years? Do you think that we're going to talk about certain tech hubs that you mentioned, like in Brazil, in, um, you know, in Chile, Argentina, as like the next Silicon Valley, the next New York City, sort of, um, or even Toronto as a tech hub? Or do you think that we're still a little bit away from, you know, certain, some of these Latin American countries of being the next global talent center for engineering specifically? Mm -hmm. There's been, I've read so many articles about like Colombia being like Medellin is going to be the next Silicon Valley or, but like there's many of those. I would, and they come from people in the region. And I would say it is unlikely because tech hubs in the US and many of the companies that are started in the US come from people who understand, or at least technology, there's a lot of technical founders that start companies. And if you look at startups in Latin America for now, the majority, and these are all very broad generalizations, and I know I'm gonna get a lot of love on Twitter for, for what I'm about to say, but we, like Latin America copies the startups that are born in, in, in Silicon Valley and in the, the, the US, right? There's all the biggest, tech companies are, uh, I call it, uh, in Spanish, it would be like platanización, so like tropicalization of startups. Every single large company that is, that is uh, right now a unicorn or something has been just the, the application of a business model that was validated in the US and it's trying to, to be proven in the, in the region. So, this to me means that most of the people who have the opportunity to, to start companies um, tend to come from a business background and not necessarily a technical background. And they see good opportunities. They have a good network. They can raise capital and then replicate what other people have done outside. I would say, and, and one of the reasons why I'm coming to the region to, to, to like help build infrastructure is I would love to see us become a really important tech hub, but it will only happen if people who are technically oriented, who have technical experience, who have solved technical problems and then can apply those, their expertise to local challenges uh, is when we will become a great uh, sort of ecosystem. Other than that, uh, we, we, we over index on business and under index on technical uh, expertise. And it's gonna, it's gonna be tough. Right. I guess the last thing I'll say is being a computer scientist in the region is not a prestigious role. Mm. Uh, you are seen as a technician. If you graduate from any school, in, at least in Colombia, any school, is a, is a, there's no software engineering majors, but there's a, like IT systems and in, in, in sometimes computer scientists in some cases, you're not seen in the same light as you are in the, in the U.S., it is seen as a very uh, like blue-collar role. So, because we don't value technical knowledge yet. Interesting, interesting. I think I have a few more questions on that, but I, I know now we have one minute, so I'm going to rapid-fire ask you your hot takes and immediate thoughts on a couple things. So, let's say you were to build a startup today, or give advice for someone to build their team in a, in a region. Um, which location would you recommend? Oof. I'm Colombian. I'm going to say Colombia. 
great. And that makes a ton of sense. Um, what would you recommend for, for a company or a business looking to diversify their, their workforce? That they should understand what it means, like why specific underrepresented groups don't join their companies. Being the first Hispanic is something that I'm used to. Um, and it, look, it's, it, it's, it's not a, a matter of safety. When you're a, a woman in a 20 person engineering organization, it may indicate that it's not a safe space to have ideas or to discuss. I'm not a woman, so I can speak for that. But what I'm saying is sometimes people from underrepresented backgrounds don't join groups that look homogeneous because it isn't safe or encouraging. So understand what, why that is. And that's where you end up with like thinking about inclusion and in, in those sort of things. So when I think about diversity, I also think about diversity of background. So um, what's your take on boot camp grads? Awesome. Uh, yeah. I have no uh, computer science major. I have a culinary arts degree and I studied pharmaceutical chemistry. So boot camp grads are, are, are an external, an extent pool of people who have been guide it through um, how to get started understanding software. It also depends on what you need, right? You don't need someone who understands computer science algorithms for everything you're building in software, right? Uh, if you're building a cryptographic product, then maybe you do need someone who understands those things. But if you're building static websites or other things, you, 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 don't, you don't need to. Um, as far as backgrounds, and I'll say, I'll say a hot take is companies should stop using the U.S. Census demographics definition of populations to base what diversity looks like. That's fair. Um, so what is your, let's see, what do you think is a popular coding language that we should stay away from and people seem to still use? <laughs> I am going to say that I believe all like the in diversity of languages, all languages are beautiful in their own way. And you shouldn't stop creating them. <laughs> That's lovely. Um, and then finally, what is your hottest of hot takes, whether it's on remote distributed teams, Latin American communities, ecosystems, give us a, a spicy take. Spiciest of takes that this new trend of engineer, engineering metrics for individuals like how many let's let's coach you through your pr so let's coach you through your things is is bullshit the research is about group group metrics and how like this the dora report and a lot of work that nicole and, and, and her team did about high performing teams is about groups and there's all these companies that are coming out with dashboards for metrics to help your team based on individual results and they're all bullshit and probably going to do a lot more harm than think of. Great. So with that, um, I know we're over time. Uh, so I think we'll close it out here, but I just wanted to say thank you for all of those who joined us. Thank you for those people that are still with us now. Um, we're a few minutes over, but we are so excited to have spoken to Juan Pablo today. Um, and we hope to see all of you at a future AMA. So thank you. Thanks Juan. Thank you very much. Thank you.